Hello, and welcome to the Totally Clinical podcast, brought to you by Techro. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get totally clinical. This week, I'd like to welcome back founder of Clinical Research Circle and remote site monitor Ashley Margot and TechCrow's Maria Milas. Now, you may recall a few weeks back, Ashley and Maria came on the podcast to discuss why the clinical research associate role is so pivotal in the industry, along with how the roles have changed over time and the negative long-term impact of burnout on the industry. In this follow-up episode, we're going to delve into some of the solutions to attracting and retaining high-quality candidates by discussing the tools, processes, and training necessary to reduce pressure and increase job satisfaction. The topic of CRE burnout is really important for the future of the industry and for all of our health, so we all have an interest in the well-being of CRAs. Welcome back, Ashley and Maria. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Good to be back. Now, Ashley, you have an organization, the University of Clinical Research, which helps students train for jobs in clinical trials. Could you explain more about some of the solutions you've explored that could help with CRA burnout? Yes. uh, As you mentioned, I'm the co-founder of Latinos in Clinical Research and also for the University of Clinical Research, uh, both which, you know, help bring knowledge to students and members, new and old, within the industry. Um, The University of Clinical Research is where we train on multiple levels. This goes from clinical trial assistants, CRCs, CRAs, clinicians, uh, medical writing, data management, et cetera. Um, And so um, ensuring that students, you know, are more mindful of what the positions actually entail, right? I find that uh, some of the issues that we come across, especially when we're speaking with CRO sponsors and, and other vendors that work within the industry, is that a lot of times the language between the actual HR and DOP documentation description, along with, you know, the the actual individual, let's say manager that is looking to hire for that particular role. Sometimes the communication is off-putting. So when you look at the actual job description, there's, it's either vague or it's very detailed and it's not fully aligned to what they're looking at and or where the limitations start and finish. Um, now we can maybe jump into that a little bit later, but and nonetheless, so having specific tools and processes in place to help break down the burden of the workload and timing in which the workload is processed is super key. It's a huge key in not only getting somebody into getting interviewed and getting into the position, but also ensuring that they make it through the actual 90-day um, onboarding system, right? Because not, you know, you may get the position or get an offer letter, but doesn't ensure that you're actually super fit for the role as you're going through the onboarding process. So getting exposure to clinical research systems is is extremely, extremely important. Uh, exposure to organizational tools such as OneNote, Outlook, all accesses of Outlook and version, um, communication systems such as office chats, et cetera. Those kinds of things are extremely key, I feel, because of the fact that um, when you're onboarding, not only are you having to know the knowledge, but you're also having to understand these systems. And usually when you are getting to know the the knowledge to the onboarding and also having to train for systems, it can definitely be 
you know, mentally and physically stressful in you individual because it's just so much information being thrown at them. So anything you can do to really bring down that burden uh, before they onboard is, I think, crucial. I'm so excited when these type of initiatives come um, um, on the market for CRAs, because if I go back to when I started being a CRA, actually, when I started in clinical research, I was a CTA, so clinical trial assistant. So I was a support, right, for CRAs who, who went on site. But during that first year of being a CTA, I was, let's say, suggested it was a great advice to take a master's degree in monitoring clinical trials. At least here in Europe, it is very recommended to do that if you don't come from a very scientific background, you do one of these masters uh, um, in monitoring clinical trials. Now, if I am very honest, during that full year of a master's degree, I don't think I touched or tried or saw from the inside any of the systems that later on as a CRA actually used. So I remember learning what a CTMS is learning what an EDC is, learning what a, um, a IWRS is, but I never saw one. I never got to, to experience one. How do you navigate um, um, in it? How do you actually um, um, add a patient? How do you monitor a patient? How do you open a query? How do you close a query? Which types of query do you close? Which are the different roles that are involved in these, in these systems? So I am very happy and I honestly congratulate you for this initiative to bring CRAs on board and not only um, uh, teach them and show them, but let them play with this tool so that they're better prepared for when they get um, into a CRA role. Now, when we implement change, challenges inevitably arise. If some of these solutions are introduced, what kind of industry obstacles, pushback do you think you could come up against? Maria? Oh, well, Hannah, we are creatures of habit, isn't it? So um, we, 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 let's say, invest so much time into learning these tools, into learning how they navigate. And, and if we are very honest, most of these tools, they're not user-friendly. They're not easy to learn. They require huge amounts of time being invested into training, into getting the certificates. And not only at the beginning, I can think of several of these tools that require you to constantly be trained and update those trainings because those certificates are needed. So of course, when we introduce new um, uh, technology tools and new, new software tools and, 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 and new resources, we're a little bit reluctant, not, not only as an industry, of course, as an industry as well, but as an individual and as a CRA as well, because you're thinking, oh my God, I am, let's say, monitoring seven different clinical trials at once. And if in each of them I have different tools, hopefully not, but if in each of them I have different tools, I need to constantly be doing trainings. I can, I have to dedicate, let's say, one full morning every single week to do trainings on one of these softwares. So if, let's say, the study introduces me with a new tool, of course, it's going to be an obstacle because in my mind, I'm already thinking, oh, no, a new tool that I need to be familiarized with. So I, my reaction will be a pushback, an initial pushback. Now. We know that technology is our friend. We know that in our personal lives. It, let's think of the, the easy communication tools that we use, the instant communication tools. It allows me to be in constant contact with my family who are living 3,000 kilometers away. So technology is our friend. We can't say otherwise. But if, if we can make it somehow just easy to implement, user-friendly, not too much time, ideally even no time required to do trainings, those pushbacks will be minimum. And once you get to be exposed to it, to have a flavor of how it works and how it helps you, how it 
let's say, um, isn't the burden of, of, of your daily life, we'll, we'll all embrace these tools because those are the tools that will help you just deliver a better result and, and, and be better at what your, at what your role is. I 100% agree with you, Maria, and and I love that you bring that up because it definitely gives, um, I would say, you know, the, um, for example, CRA employee perspective. And I think in scenarios like this, it's extremely important that you get both sides, right? Not just the employee, but also from the organization side, right? Because the organization also wants to be competitive. So these updates need to happen these um, changes have to be implemented, I would even say yearly, um, to be reviewed because, again, if they want to be in the best and they want to employ the best, they need to always be having the best technology, the more innovative technology, things like that, right? And so I think it's it's important to consider, you know, we're talking about the the burnout for CRAs and understanding, you know, the kind of burden that that plays but um, also the role of the CRO on that end. And this is why, again, why the University of Clinical Research, why we think it's important that we partner up, especially, you know, for example, with with your organization to uh, uh, get to know your system, to give exposure to these CRAs on that way before and in, in advance, because once they jump into a CRO, it's almost guaranteed that every year, if not every six months, they might be changing or having to update on their end, the multiple systems, not just the one or two or three. I mean, for me, I work with five to seven different systems. I uh, personally, when I got on board, the onboarding was extremely difficult solely because of the system part, not because of the knowledge. And um, within six months, we were already transitioning to a new system. And I remember the only irritation that I had was that I just learned the system, you know, um, and now I'm having to relearn another one. So that's a lot of pressure on newly hired CRAs. So if there's a way uh, for CROs to understand that aspect that, you know, to help kind of uh, push off that, you know, a burden, but also that kind of percentage time frame as to where somebody can actually make an error or a mistake. If you give that exposure in advance prior to the onboarding, right, or partner with organizations that do that, right, you can definitely help kind of ease that side part when you're transitioning. Why? Because we know that if somebody knows at least three systems, obviously all systems are not the same, but if you have a basis right? It's much more easier for you to transition into newer systems. So again, why, you know, I think it's important to consider, um, you know, burden and and overstress of a CRA and whether they're new or have been around for quite a while, um, because I think one of the biggest ones is a system. I mean, my organization, we're prepping for a new system change and I'm dreading it because I know that there's going to be a period of transition and I, you know, it's going to bring down my my efficiency probably by 20 or 30%, right? And that means I'm going to have a more max capacity on workload. I'm going to have to prepare for more stress, right? And that's that I'm already experienced. So imagine somebody that just got hired and has to go through that period as well. It's it's not, it's not good, you know? And so um, those kinds of things are, I feel like the pushback for CROs or organizations is wanting to work with people outside of their, you know, I could say the sphere of connections. But if there are people out there working on these different technologies, innovations, like your organization, like our organization, and uh, finding ways to collaborate, right, and give this exposure in advance um, and not be uh, uh, the word that Hannah used, right, um, kind of pushing up against it instead of working with it. If they work with organizations such as ours, um, I feel that there will be a more 
ease into these transitions and all those kinds of things. In the last podcast, in part one, you touched on how CRA travel demands aren't really as much of an issue as sponsor CRO and CRA coordination. What kind of solutions would you recommend to help this situation to improve communication? That's a great question, Hannah. You know, when CRAs start, so when when you're a junior CRA, you're so excited about the traveling aspect because you're thinking, oh, I'm going to know so many new regions in my country. I'm going to even know so many new countries that I haven't been to. Investigator meetings being in different countries. Sometimes even um, um, meeting the, the sponsors can be in, in, in different countries. So it, it, it's, you're very excited when you start. It's, it's definitely not an issue. We want to travel. We want to have that active lifestyle because series are usually um, the, the, the type of personality that want to just go um, back and forth to just wake up early morning, they're early birds, they, will, they want to be proactive, they want to be um, high performance um, um, roles in, in clinical research. So that's never an issue when you start at the beginning. And, and I would say the traveling aspects keeps not being an issue by itself um, uh, during the CRA uh, experience. However, that travel time, so let's take a monitoring visit, for example. Um, I, can, I, I, I used to be based in Barcelona, so let's take a simple one, a simple monitoring visit to Madrid, from Barcelona to Madrid. So I would take a train that was three hours and that would, let's say, make a total of four hours to getting from home to the site. So maybe I would take the 6 a.m. Um, flight so that I would arrive by 10 at site, which is already a good amount of time, um, a good time to arrive at the site because in the end, the, the the investigators might be still in their morning sessions. So by the time I arrive at site, 10 a.m. is just, it's good enough. Okay, that's four hours in which I would try to um, be, be, let's say, productive and, and do work and maybe um, update my CTMS or maybe write my um, monitoring busy report of the, of the monitoring visits for the um, prior day. However, if you need connectivity, internet connection to do those things, and you don't have that during your trip, that's a time that you cannot use to work. It's kind of time that it's lost. It's great because you can have a nap, you can catch up on those uh, uh, lack of lack of sleep, or you can read a book, or you can relax a little bit because your day is already going to be stressful enough when you get on site. But still, that means that you are going to need to catch up on, on all this work so much activity and you haven't even got to the site yet what happens next now when you get to site there is a lot of communication that needs to happen with your study manager or even with your cta with your clinical trial assistant because you might be on the site and your study manager might say hey maria can you check if your investigator can sign this can you check if this document is is is, is there you have constant communication that needs to happen instantly with your study team Imagine if one, if each of those questions are coming in by email. Those are at least 10, 15 emails that come in to your inbox on the day that you're doing monitoring visit and you need to focus on one, you know, monitoring the data, speaking with the investigator, going through the queries and questions with study coordinator, going to the pharmacy and, and, and monitoring the pharmacy data. And my advice, honestly, it would be one use tools that during the traveling time you can use offline so that I can be productive, so that I can write those reports, so that I can uh, report those deviations, so that I can do that follow-up or I can do those site management activities offline. 
and have a tool, a communication tool that allows me to immediately, let's say easy and immediately contact with my study team or with my uh, child assistant or with whoever I need to work, but immediately and it shouldn't take much time from my monitoring visit day. Otherwise, you won't be able to complete all your monitoring data for the day and you will need extra time, an extra monitoring visit day, which increases the budget, which also makes you um, need to catch up on work that you actually couldn't do because you had to extend that monitoring visit. So those would be my two types of, of advice to basically just get the most out of this, uh, out of this time. Well, I completely agree with uh, Maria and, and me on my end. I think it would be a lot more focused again on, on the zero perspective. I think they need to be more specific in the job description. You know, as Maria stated, um, she uh, she mentioned that, you know, there is when you're a junior CRA, you're kind of infatuated with the idea of traveling. I mean, that was kind of my situation. I was just very fortunate enough that the position that I was initially offered was remote. Um I wasn't too happy with that in the beginning because I wanted to travel. Um, and luckily, like I said, um, everything happens uh, for a reason. So when I got that role, I got to see exactly what that entailed for CRA. And I'm very happy that that was not the initial route that I took. Um, because again, you know, um, when when you have a description, in the, when you have a notation on the job description of the percentage of travel, I don't think people really are able to fully break that down, especially those that are barely entering they don't fully understand what that entails. And I think that's also why they specify percentage because there's no way to automatically know exactly what role that CRA or what study that CRA is going to go into and how that monitoring plan is going to look like, how often they have to go to the site. Um, but yes, definitely giving an example, you know, two or three times a week or month, however many times they're going to travel so that they have a full understanding what that is. You know, I would even suggest, uh, you know, obviously this would be a company that would go the next level, but maybe even providing um, a little watch video about, you know, a CRA talking about what their travel looks like, right? So getting a clear view of what's going on because, um, you know, when you're when you're considering travel, it's it's not just that time frame from eight to five, right? Um, it's, it's everything after that. And eventually you have more work, you have much more time. And then you're what PTO accrues, right? Racks up and and, you know, once you take that time off, you really can't, um, when you come back, you have all this work, right? And so it's just a lot of back and forth. And I believe we spoke on that a, a little bit on the first video. So um, I think it'd be helpful if, if the organization would do multiple options, for example, um, maybe doing long distance travels um, through state of countries for those that are open to travel just far. And then the option of short distance travels for those are only okay to travel within the region. For example, you know, I'm from Austin, Texas, so it's a pretty big city and, and a lot of neighboring areas. And so um, I think now if I were to be a traveling CRA, I would only be okay to opt out for that to where I know exactly how far these areas are so that I can feel a little bit more confident about my work time management, right? And then for remote work, obviously for experienced and unexperienced incoming CRAs, um, this will allow room to get to know the role and decide how far they'd like to travel, right? Because some are still okay with traveling long distances, even considering the time work. So what do you think can be done to help CRAs be more prepared for the realities of traveling? Because it can clearly be stressful with all of the challenges that come along with it. Being more flexible with options so that you can cater to all sorts of lifestyles um, and people that are open to different things. And I feel that this will not only, you know, 
bring down the, I guess, I don't know the exact word term, but it's the loss of CRAs, right? Because you have the overburn and then some of them just drop out in general from the industry um, and or those that are leaving um, to other organizations that are being a little more clear and or offering them more money and then being open about, okay, now that I know exactly what travel is, I'm only willing to take this, this, and this and being more open about specifics when it comes to their role. Right. And so I think having these different options, um, not only makes it flexible, but it also gives room to, for the CRA to openly discuss what changes they would want for themselves. And that I feel like would make a more, work-life balance uh, and the organization would ultimately also create a relationship with their CRAs this way because they feel comfortable having that conversation and feeling open and accepted with um, their particular uh, lifestyle experience and what they'd want. So if you had one piece of advice you could give to sponsors and CROs who are looking to implement uh, some of the tools and technology we've discussed today, what would it be starting with you, Maria? I would definitely say, ask your CRAs because your CRAs have already tried different tools, especially if they're experienced, they've, they've, they've seen, they haven't seen it all, but they've seen different, let's say, types of tools and different tools within the same category. So ask them, ask, ask what would it make, what would it make it better for them? What, what would make it their life easier? So they will tell you, they, they have a voice, just hear them and then if you provide them with a tool that will suit their needs their pains and their challenges will be just covered and fulfilled so what better than having a a, a happy CRA who knows that they're are supported by their CRO or by their by their sponsor and they know that whenever they have a difficulty they can come in and say this is my difficulty this is what I would need and you get your support from your study team Agree. And uh, coming off of what Maria's response was, um, I believe this is a two-pronged approach, meaning internally, as she had stated, speaking with your CRAs, being clear and open and giving them that open space to give you the advice, give them the advice. But also, I'm obviously, I'm biased, right? Um, As one of the co-founders of the University of Clinical Research, I do feel that CROs and sponsors are looking to increase their candidates and and have made efforts in those strides to provide entry, you know, ways and stepping stones for those with no experience. Um, however, you know, entry numbers and or rates retention numbers, right, are still not that large. And they can't guarantee that everyone stays and or makes it through in two roles. And so I think it's very important for the external uh, individuals that have yet to make it through the process, right, um, to work closely with organizations that are prepping and are tailoring incoming students and their learning styles, right? Because ultimately, right, if you're trying to bring somebody in, yes, you get a great candidate, but you need to ensure that they complete onboarding and that they maintain afterwards, right? So if you're still also currently working on communication internally, it's very hard to do both at the same time. So you need to work with organizations that are already focusing on that so that you can say, hey, this is what we need. Can you simplify that process for us so that it kind of, not guarantees, but at least heightens the percentage of the passing rate for these individuals, right? So that there's quicker understanding, there's quicker pickup, you know, there's less burnout and there's better communication, right? As far as what they're what they're coming into. And I think that that's where the miscommunication is. And so um, definitely working with organizations and tailoring the new incoming employment um, 
to fit their needs specifically. Ashley and Maria, thank you so much for your amazing contribution on this topic. You've both given us food for thought on workable solutions to address this with ideas that could be potentially adopted industry-wide. So thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back on the podcast sometime soon. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. For all the listeners out there, you can follow Tecra on Twitter. The handle is at Tecra Official, LinkedIn and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And of course, download the Totally Clinical podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. See you on your next visit and remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.